have some good Q&A time uh, following, following this talk. Uh, so let me pray one more time here. Father, we just ask humbly again for your spirit to lead us, guide us, empower your word, even in this, this last talk uh, that, that hopefully can put uh, a little more flesh, hands and feet on some of the things we've been talking about. We, we want it to be your word that we submit to, as, as Pastor Jay had just talked about. We, we don't want people to submit to human beings. We want people to submit to you and your word. So please do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, you can turn again to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just want to share a, a brief portion uh, towards the end of that chapter with you. Just, just big picture of where we've been with these four talks so far. Last night, just hopefully giving you a biblical, a biblical vision of what elders are and what they are called to do in the church. They, they are, among many other things, humble shepherds by God's grace and, and any authority that they have is, is because God has raised them up for a specific task in the church, which is to lead the, the flock of God, which they themselves, as, as Pastor Jay reminded us, they themselves are fellow sheep with you under the one chief shepherd, Christ. But, but Jesus has made them under shepherds in the church, hopefully to only lead you with the word of God. And then uh, this, this morning... Hopefully you're getting a better idea of, of what every other member of the church, what, what we're called to do. Uh, it's, it's every member ministry that the elders lead the flock in kingdom life. And so it's every member's vital to living kingdom life together. And, and just even the relationship between shepherds and flock, there, there is going to be in that a... a a level of submission that must happen at different times, but, but it's because we're being led by humble shepherds who are leading with the Word of God that we can trust the Lord in, in submitting to those He has placed as under-shepherds in our churches. And, and it is. You can't read the New Testament without seeing the idea of submission come up in, in not just elders and flock, but husbands, wives, government, uh, citizens, Slaves, masters, which would apply to, to work situations, parents, children. There, there's just all kinds of authority structures that God has placed on earth. And so the one thing I, I would even add to, to the submission discussion in the church, we have a unique opportunity as local churches. When humble shepherds lead and guide the church with the word of God and, and the, the rest of the flock humbly submitting in love to the Word of God as taught by the elders in a church. It, it actually helps to give off a gospel flavor in the local church that you can't find anywhere else in the world. Only in the local church do you have this great picture of Jesus, the chief shepherd, laying down his life for his sheep, and the very ones he shed his blood for, they are the ones his sheep know his voice and they follow him. And so when humble shepherds, humble under-shepherds, elders are leading the church with the Word of God, laying down their lives for the flock, helping them to know the voice of Jesus through the Word of God, and then humble sheep following the voice of their shepherd as, as they see these humble shepherds leading them with the Word of God, they, they through that, knowing the voice of the shepherd, they're going to follow Jesus' Word. It, it really helps to give off, especially in our culture where everyone bucks against authority in, in almost every arena of life. We, we don't even know what it is to submit anymore. Many of us think we're submitting, but actually what we're doing is we're only doing what we would have wanted to do anyways. But the moment our will is challenged, we quit, leave, go to a different church, or just, just do, or, or maybe just follow begrudgingly and loudly like that's normally what what we're we're prone to do but but if we can hear the voice of the shepherd 
and humbly yield our will to, to the voice of Christ in the Word of God as taught by the elders, it actually helps people to see some of the gospel realities that we've been preaching all the time. So we have a unique opportunity in the local church to give that off like no other place on earth can do except the church. Now, in, in this last talk, I'll get try to get even more practical for for what we should do if if we if we decide yes i see eldership congregationalism i see those two ideas being taught in scripture and now we want to implement that in our church i want to help us think about what it would look like to transition to that but before i do that i just want to i actually want to just up the ante just a little bit on this issue of church polity or, or how we are going to govern ourselves as the local church. You're probably here this weekend because you do basically starting to see that eldership is, is a biblical model, but maybe you don't think it's as important an issue as nine marks of a healthy church makes it out to be, or, or even as, as much as we're trying to communicate to you this weekend. Maybe you just think, ah, it's, I can take it or leave it. It's not that important of an issue. I want to force you to make a decision on the issue. I, I want to force you to, I want you to seriously look at the Bible, look at all the texts that, that we've considered, and, and really come to a convictional decision on, on these issues. Uh, and and I'll, I'll try to, to, to persuade you that you have to make a decision just by making two uh, two, two quick points here, two reasons why this is more important than you might think. First, getting the local church right with all of its organizational structure. Getting the local church right helps protect the gospel. And then secondly, getting local church polity right is actually a reformation issue. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the Reformation, this is like the 499th anniversary this year of what we would consider the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. If you're a Christian today and you go to a Christian church that's not a Catholic church, that means you're a Protestant. You're actually benefiting from the work of brothers and sisters 500 years ago. And so this issue of church government, church polity, church leadership, those are all Reformation issues that brothers and sisters in the past fought over for biblical faithfulness, even shed blood for some of these issues. So first, if you look at 1 Timothy, getting the church right, the local church and in its government structures, getting it right helps protect the gospel. You look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul, writing again to Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus at the time, he says, I hope to come to you soon. I just want you to notice the urgency of this letter. It says, I, I hope to come to you physically soon. So Paul, like, like we've heard, he, he wrote half the New Testament. He's used to writing letters. And this is one of the later letters that he wrote. He writes, writes letters to churches all the time. So he, he could just write a letter here, but I, I'm hoping to come to you soon. This is how important this is. I want to see you face to face. But I am writing these things to you so that... So, I, I want to come to see you, but this is so important. I'm just going to write this down just in case, he says, verse 15, if I delay. So it's not even just in case I die or just in case I never come to you. I don't even want this to be delayed. The, whatever he's writing to Timothy in this letter is urgent. And he says, I'm writing all this to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. So he's writing this so that Timothy can know how people ought to behave in the church. So he, he wants Timothy to teach the church how the church is supposed to be the church. That, that's what this letter is about. You're, you're, I'm writing this to you so that you can teach the church how to be the church. And he calls the church the, the pillar and foundation of the truth, which the truth here specifically 
gospel truth. That's what the church is, the pillar and foundation of, is gospel truth. You see it in verse 16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And the godliness he's talking about here is the godness of Jesus, which is a great mystery, but he manifested in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed. So he was known in the spiritual world, proclaimed among the nations. He was known in the physical world, believed on in the world. Sinners were believing in this Christ, taken up in glory. That's where he is now. That, that's really the gospel story. Those, those are the gospel events. That's the truth that the church is meant to proclaim. And, and really, the picture he paints is of a, of a multiple pillar temple here holding up the roof of a temple. And that, that roof is the truth of the gospel. The, the church is meant to uphold. We, don't, we didn't make up the gospel, and, and there's nothing we can do to change the gospel, but our role as the local church is to uphold the gospel. You, you might even say protect the gospel. We're, we're meant to make sure nothing happens to this gospel. And in this letter, what the, the church that Paul talks about is clearly the local church. He, he, in this letter, he, he talks about how one ought to behave in the household of God. And that involves things like in chapter 2, men praying rightly, women understanding biblical womanhood. Elders and deacons, right before this in chapter 3, elders and deacons being qualified according to what God says, caring for widows. Paul in this letter is talking about nitty-gritty local church life. This is what you've, you've got to get right. You, I want you to teach the church how to be this church so that you can uphold and protect the gospel. And so we know one of those things is the qualifications of elders and deacons. So we got to get the local church right and everything about the local church because it helps to uphold the truth of the gospel. Secondly, church leadership, just trying to persuade you that this is more important of an issue than you might think. Church leadership is a reformation Issue. So if, if, if that doesn't mean anything to you, I would just challenge pastors, all pastors in the room, to teach your churches about uh, some of, just some about church history because we, we should thank the Lord that we are Protestants today, that, that God used men like Martin Luther and John Calvin almost 500 years ago to help recover the gospel we, we would be preaching a different gospel, which is how I understand the Catholic teaching of the gospel. It's not the same gospel. You just read Galatians 1, or you, you read the book of Galatians, and then you read Catholic canons. It's a different gospel. But we as Protestants believe the right gospel because God used, he could have used anybody. He just chose to use men in the 16th century to help recover the gospel, mainly the doctrine of justification. How, is, how does a person get right with God? And, and we believe the right things in the Protestant churches uh, because of how God used certain men in history and, and uh, lots of church leaders and preachers and teachers of the word since then. Now, there were many big issues, like I said, mainly the doctrine of justification, but, but the foundational issue in the Reformation that... that that God helped recover in the 16th century, helped the church recover, the foundational issue was the authority of Scripture. The reason I think eldership is the biblical model is because I think it comes right out of the Scriptures. You, you just read through Acts 11 through 20. Just read those 10 chapters. I challenge you to just read those 10 chapters. You cannot get another model out of those 10 chapters, except eldership in, in local churches. And, and, and I think there are clues that there are congregational government going on as well in those chapters. But it's eldership is clear. That's, that's the main issue. That's the main challenge that people I know are wrestling with here. I think it comes right out of the Bible. And the Bible is our final authority. It's not even good enough to say, that we're Southern Baptist Church. This is the way Southern Baptist churches have always done it. That's not true for one. 
Some people might argue this is the way Baptist churches have been doing it since the 40s and 50s with, with the committee structures. Uh, Mark Dever has said, uh, I think he's right, we should, we should, this is not the way Baptist churches have always done it. You want to talk about the 40s and 50s, that's, that's fine. You want to talk about the 1940s and 1950s, that's fine. But let's talk about the 1840s and 1850s, 1740s, 1750s, or the 40s and 50s. This is actually the way it, so this is historical Baptist tradition, but it doesn't matter because it's coming out of the Bible. So we don't even want Southern Baptist tradition to be our final authority. We want the Bible to be our final authority. And then also related to the Reformation, one of the great errors of the Catholic Church is in terms of church leadership. They do teach and believe that the Pope is the head of the church on earth. That he is, yes, he, he has his structures, but, but it's not within local churches where you find the authority for local churches. It's outside of local churches where you find the, the final authority when it comes to government, church government. So, so the Pope has the final say, even, even when he speaks uh, in his teaching office, he, they would say it's as authoritative as Scripture. So eldership in one local church helps to combat even church leadership ideas with the Catholic Church that our main leader is not the Pope. The, the, the leaders within our congregation come from within our congregation. It's the one God raises up, multiple elders in the congregation. And it's not anyone outside our local church that tells our local church what to do in matters of membership, matters of, of discipline, matters of doctrine, even, even when it comes to our church budget. It's, it's going to be congregational government going on because we, we think that comes out of the Bible too. So the ideas of eldership and congregationalism both combat Catholic ideas of church leadership. So these are more serious issues than you might think. So if you have questions about that, please do ask during the, the Q&A or you can uh, pull me aside later. Just to close out our talks for this weekend, just, just, I'm just going to assume that most of you say, okay, I see this as biblical eldership, leading congregational churches. I, I even now, now that you've said it, I think it's even more important than, than I thought it was 10 minutes ago. So it's really important and it's biblical. Okay, we want to do this in our church. So how do we move from a current model, whatever it is, to what we consider the biblical model of elder-led congregationalism under the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus? I, I mean this when I say you should, you should talk to the other pastors in the room. They, they will have good suggestions as well. I'll just give you 11 suggestions, okay? 11-point sermon here. Hope to get you out by Sunday morning service before Randy gets up here to preach. I'm kidding. This is going to be quick here. But just 11 suggestions for how to move a church from one model to a more faithful model. Uh, this hopefully is based on biblical wisdom and hopefully based on, on what we've learned by God's grace at our experiences at Kailua Baptist. Number one, make the gospel the most important thing in your church on any given day. Make the gospel more important in your church on any given day. At our church, we, we, we became an elder-led church in October, uh, maybe August. We, we, we voted on the new bylaws, and in October, we had new elders in place of last year, 2015. So we've been at it for less than a year. Prior to that, it was about four years, starting in 2011, four years of conversations about changing the structures of our church. Actually, more than half the time I've been at the church has been talking through those issues. Now, that actually makes it sound longer than it really is because it's not like we were talking about it daily for four years. We weren't even talking about it weekly for four years. But we were talking about it off and on and intentionally for four years. So I often, it was a long season, and I often told people I was eager to get past that season in our church life because I didn't want anyone to think that, that church polity was more important to us than the gospel. 
Before God, the gospel remained more important to me and the rest of our church on any given day during those four years. If you visited Kailua Baptist Church during those four years, you might have heard bits and pieces about church polity happening in the background, but you would have heard the gospel front and center. And that's the way it always needs to be, because church polity is a secondary theological issue. Related to this, I would urge all pastors to preach expositional or expository sermons on a reg that that be the main diet in your church just what that means is just we're taking the text of scripture just going verse by verse trying to expound explain and apply it to the congregation just that's a normal diet of the church where, where the main point of the sermon is is the point of the text the main point of the text is the point of the sermon we're just preaching the word like second timothy 4 says you, you need, and, and if your pastors don't do that, if your member's here of a church and your pastor's not here and he doesn't do that, you should plead with him to preach expository, expositional sermons. And if he wants to learn about that, just read, tell him to read Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. That's a good place to start. Or there's another book called Expositional Preaching by David Helm. Those are good places to start to learn about expositional preaching. But you need that. We all need that to be the main diet in our churches so that everyone in the church knows what we do at our church is we hang on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what we do in our church. We want to know what everything in the Bible means and what it means for us today because we want to hang on every word. We, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, Pastor, give us every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if that's always what's happening in the church, then when secondary, secondary discussions like church polity come up, that's also coming right out from the Bible. And everyone knows that's how we operate in our church. We're, we're not trying to get our ideas from other places. We hang on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if Paul says, I want you, Titus, to appoint elders in every town, we're going to take that as the word of God to us, and we're going to try and obey it. You can debate the applications of that today, but we must apply it. We can't just dismiss it. We hang on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you're preaching, if, if the preaching is just always expository, expositional preaching going on in your church, you're going to get the gospel every week because the gospel is the main point of all of Scripture. So expositional preaching will help keep the gospel number one, and will help people have more confidence that we're trying to be biblical when church polity does come up. Second suggestion, never make church polity seem unimportant in your church. Gospel is number one, but that doesn't mean everything else is unimportant. That's actually another thing I, I heard Mark Dever talk about in the past is that's, that's one of the problems in the evangelical church in America is we are essentialists, so we only care about what's essential for salvation and then everything else doesn't matter. But that just doesn't seem like a faithful way to read the Bible. We hang on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So everything that is essential to our salvation and then all the implications of the gospel as well, we want to obey. And like I said, church polity, even getting church polity right, helps protect the gospel. This is why I say, uh, you, you know, one, one of the ways that, that maybe just fleshing out how church polity helps protect the gospel even more. You, you heard much of it in the last talk with Pastor Jay Armstrong, but a council of elders, multiple elders in a church exists to help keep every elder in that council accountable. That's one of the purposes of it. You have godly men who want to teach and preach only the word, who are working alongside other godly men who are wanting to teach and preach only the word of God. And when one of us gets out of line, we have, by God's grace, other godly men who will hold us accountable. So having a plurality of elder in a elders in a church helps keep from one man monopolizing all the teaching in a church. It, the, if you have congregational government, 
congregation as a whole helps keep the elder, council of elders accountable, we want to make sure that we're not hearing any other gospel than the one we receive, like Galatians 1.8. So we'll, we'll call you out on it if we hear a different gospel. So the congregation helps keep the elders accountable. Elders, as I mentioned, leading as shepherds helps picture the leadership of Christ over his bride, even deacons serving in the church help picture the foot-washing servanthood type of, of servanthood of Christ. Every member ministering helps preserve the picture of the one body of Christ growing into Christ-likeness. There's, there's gospel glory in church polity being biblically faithful. You get church government right, you can actually give off all the aroma, all these different aromas of the gospel. And that's why I say church polity, though it is not a primary doctrine when it comes to salvation. It's not a primary doctrine when it comes to salvation. But, but church polity is a primary ecclesiological issue. In other words, ecclesiology is just the doctrine of the church. You cannot have a healthy church unless you get church polity right. It is a primary church issue. It's not primary when it comes to salvation. But if you want a healthy church, I don't know why you wouldn't want a healthy church. If you want a healthy church, you cannot. It is impossible to have a healthy church unless you get church polity issues biblically faithful. Third suggestion. Do Everything, when you're, when you're looking to change the, the government structures of the church, do everything legally. Do everything legally. I, I pray you won't have any legal troubles should you change the leadership structure in your churches. But if you change your constitution or bylaws at your church, which you would have to do if you're going to change the leadership structure... Uh, if indeed you have bylaws and constitution, uh, and, and if, you, if you're going to change the bylaws and constitution and or constitution at your church, and if somebody blows the whistle on you and you haven't done it according to the laws of the state, it can bring shame upon the church and upon the name of Christ. You're, not to mention you're, you're disobeying Jesus by not staying legal. You're supposed to submit to the governmental authorities that God has placed over us. So work for biblical change in biblical ways. Do everything legally. So in case you're interested, the way we ended up doing it is after making many mistakes at our church, we ended up going as, as just investigating what was the most legal way we could go about everything. So we realized that we had to go through our current structures, which was at the time to create an ad hoc committee to revisit the bylaws in our church. That was written into our bylaws. We can create ad hoc committees for, for different, uh, different occasions that come up in, in church life. So we created an ad hoc committee, and that committee, I, I was one of the members of that committee. There was about six of us on that committee, and, and we actually invited everyone who, wanted, who was interested to, to let us know, me and, and the, the functioning deacon at a time, just let us know if you wanted to be on that committee. And we would have let almost anybody up to a certain number. We, we didn't want the committee to get too big, but we would have wanted a, as much of a cross-section of the church as we could get to be on that committee. Because what we were planning to do is just we're going to open up our Bibles, look at, much like what Pastor Jay Armstrong and, and, and the folks at Kihei did, we're just going to open up the Bible. What does the, the Bible say about local church and all of its structures? That's what we were planning to do. So we were happy to have any Holy Spirit indwelt believer in the church to be on that committee, which is every member of the church, or that's the way it should be. So any member of the church could have been on that committee and by just in God's wisdom, only those six that, that were on the committee wanted to be. We didn't have to turn away anybody. And, and so we created the committee, worked with an attorney the whole time. You, you don't have to do that. You can just investigate, research on the Internet about nonprofit laws. And, and you can actually educate yourself. We, we just needed to go the extra mile at the time because of the kinds of, of people we were dealing with at the time. And because of all, all the involvement with the attorney and having to go back and forth, it took about a year to rewrite the whole bylaws for you. 
could take a lot shorter than that. I think you could get it done in, in two or three months to rewrite the bylaws, after which you would then want to vote on it, give people time to look at it, uh, ask questions. But, but that's, that's what we did, worked with an attorney so that at every point we were doing everything legally. We were obeying Jesus by submitting to the governing authorities, and we were working for biblical change in biblical ways, even doing things legally. And, and I think, by, by God's grace, at the end of it, we, we did vote. By God's grace, it was a unanimous vote at our church to adopt these new bylaws. And I think main thing was everyone knew it was biblical. That's why they wanted it. And I think what helped is that we, were, we had integrity before the state as well, the whole time. And I think that helped people too. Fourth suggestion, over-communicate to every member of the church. So as whoever's leading the charge of change in the church, if you have a committee or if it's a group of, of pastors and leaders or whoever's leading, trying to, trying to help lead the charge for change in the church, that group should over-communicate with everybody else in the church. Just always see if people have questions. Always communicate what you're doing at every point, communicate why you're doing what you're doing at every point, and, and even if you think people are tired of hearing why you're doing what you're doing, communicate it some more. Just tell them, this is exactly, we want to be open booklets before everybody. Ask us whatever you want to know, why we're doing what we're doing, and, and, and just communicate over and over. And then when you're done communicating, see if people have questions. And if they say they have no questions, ask them again if they have questions. And then again, and then again. Just keep asking people if they have questions. You want everybody to be on board with what you're doing. So over-communicate. And even if people are tired of hearing what you say, like, we know why you're doing it. We trust you already. Just you over-communicating, they're going to feel loved by you. So just over-communicate. Fifth, related to this, try to solicit everyone's involvement. So it, it wouldn't be efficient to have a committee of 20 work through uh, rewriting the bylaws, but you can have a, a cross-section of the church work on trying to revisit the bylaws, a group of six to eight people. So it doesn't really matter, but just a good cross-section of the church. But, but then still, you can still solicit everybody's involvement. Always, like I said, asking if people have questions and, and, and listen to people's concerns, listen to people's suggestions. Every member has the Holy Spirit, remember? So, so every person on, on whoever's leading the charge, everybody is going to want to listen to what every other member of the church has to say. Because even if the committee is doing their work here, you may have somebody out here who just might have insight into something that the whole committee is blind to, just because we're all sinners and we all don't have the same experiences on earth, by God's grace, he, he gifts people in different ways, so you just never know. Listen to what everybody has to say. Solicit every person's involvement, and most people are going to trust uh, uh, whoever's leading the charge, but it, again, they will feel loved by you if you genuinely try to solicit everyone's involvement. Six. This is just sixth suggestion here. Have your Bibles open the whole time. In every discussion about leadership structure, from the informal Q&As that you might have in people's homes, or just inviting people to the office to, to talk informal, or to formal bylaws committee meetings. Just in every one of these discussions, anytime you're talking about anything of significance in this charge for change, have your Bibles open. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in the Scriptures. So if it's not in the Scriptures, it's not that important when it comes to kingdom life. There are other things we can learn from outside the Bible, but the most important things for kingdom life are going to come from inside the Bible. So you, you want... You, even if you know everybody, or even if you think everybody kind of already has an idea of all the biblical teachings, like we've gone over this. You did the Sunday school. You did the summer session on, on church polity. You, you, you gave us all these nine marks books. We read them all. Please, you don't have to open the Bible anymore. Still, open the Bible. 
tell them to look at what Acts 6 says, that the, the apostles wanted to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, so they needed to select other men in the church to, to serve the ones in need. And, and then it's the, the congregation who helped select those seven men. And, and Acts 14, it, it's Paul appointed elders in every church, multiple elders in every singular church, we, we know, we've heard it before, but open it up, read it again. It forces people that if they're going to disagree with you, they're going to disagree with the very words of God. So just, just keep, never get tired of opening up your Bibles. Seven, ask other churches for advice on gray areas. I know Kahului Baptist is already very good at this, very, very good and, and humble to do this, but it's also a joyful experience to have these experiences with the greater body of Christ like this. But just ask other churches for advice on gray areas. Again, the main things are all going to come right out of the text of Scripture. But that doesn't mean there's, gonna, there's not going to be, there's still going to be some what we might call gray or debatable applications of Scripture, things that might only be addressed indirectly by Scripture, things where many people uh, in the body of Christ have disagreed uh, historically upon. So you should ask other churches. Not, don't just ask any church. You, you need to ask churches you can trust. Again, if you want to know what kinds of churches you can trust, you should read Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. You get, you get a sense of what a healthy church is. You should only ask healthy churches for advice. And then, assuming you know what churches you can trust, there, there's going to be all kinds of gray debatable, practical things that come up. Can women be deacons? How many deacons should a church have? How many elders should a church have? What, what kinds of things do we vote on as a church? Do we vote on everything, every decision that comes up? Or, or are we entrusting elders and deacons and other members to do certain things? Do we, what kinds of things do, do we bring forward for congregational decisions together? All those kinds of things are gray, debatable, wisdom issues that over the long haul, that's one of the reasons God gives elders as a gift to the church. They're multiple men that you can trust the wisdom God has provided them with on gray matters. But still, even at that point, there's many things that our church still, we're dealing with an issue right now where I've asked 22 pastors that I know about their opinion on a certain pastoral issue that has come up. So ask other churches for advice Ask the greater body of Christ for help and wisdom. We are all local churches. We all need to be committed to one local church at a time, but there is still this one body of Christ that we can fellowship with and, and learn from. Eight suggestion, number eight, read at least these five books. Maybe this is where you should start if you want to educate yourself more, but read at least these five books the Deliberate Church by Mark Dever, talking about how to bring about biblical change. Understanding Church Leadership, talking about a lot of the leadership things we've been talking about. Also by Mark Dever, Understanding Church Leadership. Church Membership by Jonathan Lehman, talking about a lot of the realities I talked about this morning. Don't Fire Your Church Members, also by Jonathan Lehman, talking about congregational authority. And Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. So you can ask me for that list later, but The Deliberate Church and Understanding Church Leadership by Mark Dever, Church Membership and Don't Fire Your Church Members by Jonathan Lehman, and Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. And, and really, so many things at Nine Marks. You should go to ninemarks.org. they got all kinds of good articles, all kinds of church issues that can help. And only after all that, if you're still looking to read something for fun, you can try to pick up my book, What is an Elder-Led Baptist Church on Amazon, only after you read all those things. If you just want to hear a local Hawaii boy's perspective on some of these things, you can read that on $5.99 on Amazon. I'm not looking to make money. I just need to pay off the Kindle account that I opened for that, so if you can help me with that. Kindle should be coming up in about a week or so. But anyways, just read good books on church polity. And and. The reason these books are good, reason the Nine Marks books are good, is because they help us understand the Bible. That's what makes a good Christian book, is it help us, helps us to understand the Bible. So 
you, you should not think that reading Christian books is opposed or is going to take time away from your Bible reading. We all need help to understand the Bible better. So you should read good Christian books to help understand the Bible better. Number nine, if you're looking to change structures in your church, be patient. Number nine is be patient. The fact that church polity is not as important as the gospel necessarily means you can be more patient with church polity than the gospel. So if you hear somebody preaching a different gospel in your church, you rebuke them on the spot, publicly even. Or if people, if, if people in the church want something other than the Bible, don't give it to them. If they, if they want to be fed with something other than the gospel, don't give it to them. Only give them what they need, which is the Bible, which, which tells us God's gospel plan of salvation and all of its glorious implications for the church. Give them gospel. Give them Bible. That's it. You want to be, you, you, you don't be patient when it comes to if somebody wants something other than the gospel. But with church polity, you can be patient. You can be more patient than you would be with gospel, central gospel issues. You, you actually can, if a fellow church member believes in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and has wrong views on church polity, they're still a brother and sister in Christ. It's, it's still family you're talking to. It's, a, it's, a, it's family. It's now a family discussion. We, we can be more patient with family members about secondary issues. So be patient. Expect that change will take longer than you're planning for it to take. Just expect that. Just, just have a, a, a prayerful hope. Just pray for change to happen, but, but expect that it's going to take longer than you're, you're hoping it will take. Just be patient with these things. Just think about how many things Jesus is being patient with you about in your life right now. And I promise you, it's more than you're thinking of. He's being extremely patient with the sheep that he loves. So, so we can go and do likewise with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Number 10, be intentional. Be patient, but be intentional. When it comes, even on these secondary matters, if somebody is saying they, they, they need they need some time to think and process this. We want to be patient, but we don't want to be patient just for the sake of being patient. You, you do not want to be patient just for the sake of being patient. We don't show grace and mercy on people just for the sake of showing grace and mercy. We're hoping that the end result is that we all together will be obedient to Christ. So local church life is, is not about my individual obedience and, and I've just got to make sure that I individually obey. The reason we must be patient with other brothers and sisters in Christ in the church is because we, we're, we have the Ephesians 4 vision. We want to reach the unity of the faith and together become the, the mature man in Christ to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the whole church that must go there together. So I want to be patient with you because Jesus is patient with me and I don't want to leave you behind. I, I want, I want, I, and I, don't, I wouldn't want you to leave me behind. So I hope you'll be patient with me when I'm wrong about something else in the future. So please, let's, let's do this together. You, you want to help people to, to, to be obedient in the end though. So at some point, at some point, you will have to take stands for biblical faithfulness. It's about being obedient to Jesus at the end of the day. So you want to be clear that it's, that's what it's about. It's about being obedient to Jesus. So if you need time to process Scripture, I'm willing to wait for that. But once we've processed it together, then we've got to decide whether we're going to be obedient to our Lord or not. And so if you're hoping and praying for change in the church. You want to be patient, but you want to be intentional, which means you're going to have to take stands at times. When you can tell people, understand what the Bible's saying, then you've, you've got to, to trust the Holy Spirit in them. is going to make them want to obey, and, and you've got to move forward. You have to obey Jesus. You have to even be willing to lose people 
for the sake of obedience to Christ. I, I am willing to die. I'm willing to die for the things we've talked about this weekend. I think it's so clear in the Bible, the things we've talked about this weekend, that I am willing to die for it. And if, if, if our government changed in such a way that they would, they would force us to, to have a different leadership structure that was not obedient to Scripture, we would still try to obey Scripture. If it, was, if it became illegal tomorrow to have multiple elders in one local church. I don't foresee that happening. I don't know. With some of these presidential candidates, who knows what's going to happen. But if it somehow became, it's illegal to have multiple elders in any local church, we would still do it by God's grace. We'd probably go underground and start meeting in our parsonage or whatever, but we'd still do it by God's grace. And so this is an obedience issue. Do not be patient just for the sake of being patient. You be patient to help people obey in the long run. We want to obey Jesus together. And if, if you're one of those who are asking for people to be patient with you, that's good, but, but don't use your past experiences as an excuse to disobey Jesus. We will be patient with you if you have to process things, if you, if you have to see what does this mean, what, what are the implications of this for all, all the other Southern Baptist churches out there. We, we don't know exactly what's going on in the minds and hearts of all the other Baptist churches out there, but we know what's going on in our minds and hearts. So if, if I can tell what's happening, what the Bible's saying, doesn't matter. In fact, we had a woman in our church who was a, a member of another Baptist church for 50 years. She, she says exactly 50 years from the time she became a Christian to the time she left that church. She was, a, she was at that Baptist church for 50 years. And that church had single pastor, multiple deacons, about 15 to 20 committees in that church. That's all she knew for 50 years. So you can understand why we might want to be patient with that sister when she came to our church. That's all she knew for 50 years. She's faithful sister. Just, just did not hear these teachings about eldership and, and eldership in Baptist life, what that looks like. She didn't hear any of those things until she came to our church. But it took her a while to process, but the moment she processed it, the moment she understood, you know what, I see how God used my past, those past experiences. I see how God was faithful even in, in that other church, but now I see there is a more biblically faithful model and so she's, she's still a happy member of our church with multiple elders, multiple deacons, congregational Baptist church. And so if she can come from that church to this church, I know anybody can. It, it took her a while to process. We were patient with her. But she is, she's fully on board by God's grace. Eleventh and final thing is to pray. Just pray. Pray, this is, remember, this is the spiritual work of the kingdom. Everything that has to do with the local church, as Jonathan Lehman likes to articulate, that the local church is God's signpost on earth for the kingdom of God. So everything about the local church is pointing people to the kingdom of God. This is the spiritual work of the kingdom. Even getting your, your local church leadership structure correct is is the spiritual work of the kingdom and and lehman likes to say that that church polity is actually under the category of christian ethics this is about what's right and wrong here so all of this is the spiritual work of the kingdom and if you want to move a whole church from what would be corporate i would call unintentional sin it, nobody's usually nobody's trying to get church polity wrong it's just usually just sort of a pragmatic issue you just kind of go with what works but when you become aware of biblical teachings on church polity you're aware oh we we weren't in line with the bible that's it's okay jesus is gracious <laughs> he forgives us for way more than just what we're getting wrong in church polity but he also forgives us for church polity issues so he's gracious his blood covers all of our sin intentional and unintentional so it's just unintentional sin and and if we're going to move a whole church from unintentional sin to hopefully humble intentional obedience it's going to take prayer just pray for your pastors to teach faithfully 
on the gospel, to teach faithfully every week from the pulpit, to teach faithfully in your Bible studies, teach faithfully about church polity, to, to get it right from the Bible. They need prayer to help teach correctly. And then pray for your fellow church members to, to hear God's Word, to see it in God's Word, and then to love God's Word, uh, to hear the voice of the shepherd and to follow His voice. Pray for your church. Jesus, or, or Ephesians 6, Paul says, prayer is one of the weapons of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. So the, getting the local church right is a part of how we combat the evil one in this life. He doesn't want us to get the local church right. He, he, he wants us to mess up how we, how we do things in the church. We can, we can fight him by praying that we can be faithful local churches on earth. We, we do not have because we do not ask. So pray. If we ask, we ask with wrong motives. So pray for right motives. And God loves to give wisdom to His children. He, he's overly generous with wisdom. So pray for wisdom as you move through these issues in your church. Wherever your church is at, you can trust God in two things. One, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and he, he will be faithful to carry that work of completion on in you and the lives of all your fellow church members. He, he's constantly sanctifying you and sanctifying even our views of the local church. That's a part of our sanctification so you can trust that God is going to be faithful to sanctify you and every other member of your church. And, and secondly, you can trust God wants your church to be healthy more than you do. It's God's grace if you want a healthy church. That's why you're here this weekend, because you want to know what's a healthy church. But I, tr I guarantee you God wants this more than you do. Jesus loves his bride. He laid his life down for the church. And he put his spirit in the church. His spirit is dwelling in the church. So God wants this more than any of us wants it. God wants this more than all of us put together. This is his design for the church. So we can trust God to make good things happen in your local church, the, the pillars and foundation of the truth on earth. You can, we can trust him to make good things happen when he wants to. Let's pray. So, Lord, we entrust all this to you. Lord, if there's anything unbiblical that I have said, pray that people will forget about it after this weekend and all the biblical things that they've heard. Help them to take it to heart, to love it, and to, to apply it in their churches. And, and we do pray for all the churches here and for this vision of healthy church life to spread across this island. Lord, we pray for every church on this island to be the church that you have designed it to be as a way of helping more people know you, how you shepherd us, as a way of, of, of adding, for you to add more people when they see the church functioning like the fully functioning body in Ephesians 4, in Acts 2. We pray for those Ephesians 4, Acts 2 realities upon our churches for your glory, for the salvation of more Maui residents, and for the salvation of peoples in all the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.